Introducing Christianity to Mormons, a new book by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and published by Harvest House Publishers, is a resource that will help you share your faith with Latter-day Saint friends and loved ones. Order your copy of Introducing Christianity to Mormons at mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Yesterday we began looking at a conference message titled, A Framework for Personal Revelation. It was given by Dale G. Renlin, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. This message was given on October 1st, 2022, in the morning session of General Conference. And I began yesterday's broadcast by citing John Owen, who was a Puritan writer, lived between 1616 and 1683, and he said, If private revelations agree with Scripture, they are needless. If they disagree, they are false. That's a premise that I have followed for much of my Christian walk. I think in looking at what Renlin says in this talk, he would probably say he agrees with what John Owen says. And the question I asked yesterday is, why is that? And I think the answer to that question is, we have different definitions as to who the Holy Spirit is that is going to reveal truth to us. And also we have different foundations from which we gather the evidence to determine what is true. We ended yesterday's show by quoting Renlin, who cites Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. He said, When we are unsure or uneasy, we can ask God for help. The Savior's promise could not be clearer. Ask, and it shall be given you, for everyone that asketh receives. He also talks about praying amiss later on in this talk. And we know that James 4.3 uses that phrase, that we can pray amiss. I think we need to be careful, and the reason why I say that is because, as I mentioned yesterday, sometimes our own desires can influence how our prayers are answered. And it may not be from God, at least the way we think it should be answered. Take, for example, the Apostle Paul, who writes in 2 Corinthians 12, how he says, I prayed for this thorn in the flesh to be removed, but yet God did not remove it. So we can sincerely pray to God about certain things, and God is going to say no. So in other words, Paul did not really receive what he desired in those prayers, but yet he recognized it was for his spiritual benefit that the prayer was not answered the way that he had hoped. And notice what Jesus says in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I think this is one of those common questions that gets asked, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, they do, because God wants to get the glory. And sometimes it's going to take us going through difficult times, like Paul praying about this thorn in his flesh three times, and and, uh, he's told, no, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. Realize that it's for my glory. I think that is an important concept because, yes, we are supposed to pray. We do pray in confidence that he will answer, but sometimes it doesn't go the way that you would hope it would. 
Well, as the title implies here, he's going to talk about the type of framework that Latter-day Saints are supposed to use in order to make sure that whatever personal revelation they feel they may be receiving is actually from God or not. And again, he's going to use a different set of rules. His framework is not the framework that we as New Testament Christians would use. And this is why I say that in reading John Owen's statement, that I think Renlin, if I were to ask Renlin, do you agree with what John Owen says here? He would probably say yes. Well, that's because he's starting from a different foundation. And I think that's very important, folks. We need to understand that if we're going to be able to communicate with our LDS counterparts. He continues to talk and says, outside of that framework, no matter our brilliance or talent, we can be deceived and crash and burn. We would agree with that. Yep. Except the problem is, is, Renlin's framework is not our framework. It's not the framework that we read in the New Testament. We have an entirely different way of viewing personal revelation, general revelations, whatever you might want to call it. And we would say this to a Latter-day Saint. If you are not within the framework of the New Testament, you will be deceived, you will crash, and you will burn. And when you understand, again, as you've been talking about, his framework is that Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God, that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the true church on the face of the earth. That's the foundation for what the, the LDS Church is all about. But the problem is, if it's not true that Joseph Smith is a true prophet, that the Church is not the true representative of God on the face of this earth, then you can be deceived and crash and burn based on a false presupposition. And I think in the next paragraph, Renlin is going to start to expose some of this, and let me explain why. He says in the next paragraph, the scriptures form the first element of this framework for personal revelation. Before we go any further, let's just make sure we are understanding when he says the word scriptures. If you're somebody who's not familiar with Mormonism, he's not just talking about the Bible. Of course, the King James Version of the Bible is accepted as one of the four scriptures, but we also have the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. So very specifically, he's going to use the word scripture. So that's part of the framework. And there's a footnote after that sentence, footnote number eight. And if you look at footnote number eight, you will find that when he speaks of the scriptures, he's referring specifically to 2 Nephi 32, verse three. And that's from the Book of Mormon. Now you see the problem with this. You have to embrace as truth the scriptures that Dale Renlin is citing. See, for me, as a New Testament Christian, that becomes problematic. It's like a con man telling me to take advice from him, and by taking advice from him, I'm going to arrive at what he thinks is the proper conclusion. The problem is that the con man is doing what? Trying to convince me of something that is probably not accurate. And when he says the scriptures form the first element of this framework, when he cites the Book of Mormon, Obviously, a flag should go up to say, wait a minute, why should I embrace what the Book of Mormon has to say when that book is questionable because of its source, which happens to be Joseph Smith? You see, you already have to embrace Joseph Smith as a true prophet of God to embrace the scriptures, quote unquote, that he brings forth. Well, how do we know Joseph Smith is a prophet of God? I've asked many Latter-day Saints that question, and the way I usually frame it, I will say something like, 
before you became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, did you test Joseph Smith with the two tests for a true prophet that are found in the Bible? More often than not, the response I get is, no, because they didn't even know there were two tests for a true prophet in the Bible. And yet there are. One can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 13, and the other can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 13 speaks of people who rise up that try to convince God's creation to go after gods that are not true. And I would argue Joseph Smith met that requirement when he says, for instance, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. And then he proceeds to tell this story about a God who was once a human being like us that became God at some point in time, who has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. There's the flag. By giving that explanation of his God, shows that he has failed the test of Deuteronomy chapter 13. Latter-day Saints don't use that test. They will do what? They will usually use this test of praying. Now again, as I mentioned yesterday, we need to be careful. We are fallen human beings. How many young men have prayed about the truthfulness of Mormonism merely because they wanted to impress a Mormon girl that they went to school with. Now, do you think there might be a little bit of influence there that might kind of stray away from what is actually true about Mormonism, or is it to meet this individual's desires? I remember having a conversation with a young Mormon missionary in my front room. And Eric, you were there at the time when these missionaries came to my house when we lived in El Cajon, California. This missionary proceeded to tell us about why he believed the Book of Mormon to be true. And he gave us a very textbook answer that he felt that the Holy Ghost had told him that it was true. I explained to him that being able to discern like that was quite an accomplishment for a young man like that, when even older people like myself still struggle when it comes to discerning whether or not something is true or false. And I asked this young man, does your mother believe in the Book of Mormon? And remember, Eric, he said, yes. And I asked him about his siblings. I asked about his other relatives. They all believe the Book of Mormon. It seems like this young man, all his friends were Latter-day Saints who believe the Book of Mormon. Well, as I started going through this list, it started to become apparent, at least to us, that maybe the influence of this young man's life wasn't really the Holy Ghost at all, but probably because of the influence of people that he trusted and people that he loved. And this is the danger of growing up in a certain religious tradition and accepting it just because your family does. I used to teach Bible classes at a Christian school, and I still work with high school teenagers. And one of the things I talk to them about is owning their own faith. This is so important because uh, you could grow up in a Christian church, but if you don't own that faith and you're just borrowing your parents' faith, when you do graduate from high school, there's a good chance you're going to lose whatever faith you have because you're going to be introduced into to new ideas that maybe you've never heard of before. But Bill, when we come to Moroni 10.4, we've talked about this before. I'll just, I'd like to read the verse here just to make sure everybody understands what it says. 
And when we shall receive these things, I would exhort that ye would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true, and if he shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. Just a couple of things. Number one, most people don't pray about the Book of Mormon being not true, but they pray about it being true. How did they receive an answer? Usually it's a positive one, but it's not true. This is the problem with this prayer. There's no way for you to get around the sincere heart, real intent, faith in Christ, because they'll ask you, the Latter-day Saint will say, have you prayed this prayer? And you say, yeah, I have. Well, you didn't pray with a sincere heart or real intent. And I think that's the problem with this idea that somehow if I say this prayer, it sounds religious and all of that, but that's not going to necessarily give you the right answer. You've heard me say many times when we speak at churches, Eric, that I look at Moroni 10.4 as the Kobayashi Maru of Mormonism. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll know the Kobayashi Maru was the it was an unwinnable situation or scenario. There was no way you could win in that. And it's really, that's true when it comes to this, because as you mentioned, if you claim that you did pray about it and you didn't come to the right conclusion, there's obviously something wrong with you. If you don't pray about it, there's obviously something wrong with you. And that's not a real test. Exactly. I, I don't think Moroni 10.4 is a good test to use for verifying the truth claims for the Book of Mormon. There are a number of ways that you can test the Book of Mormon, and certainly if you did it in a rational way, I don't think you would come to the same conclusion that many members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have come to. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.